Welcome to episode 12 of the BMAS podcast, where we'll be discussing the Old Testament portion of this week's reading plan. My name is Anton Brooks, and I'm here with David Schrock, the pastor of preaching and theology here at Alphaquan Bible Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Today, we're going to take a look at Exodus 25 through 40. So starting in Exodus 25, we have 16 chapters just on the tabernacle. Why does Exodus spend so much time on the tabernacle? Yeah, just even before that, like, how's that been just reading through that, Anton? And oh, yeah. Has that been a challenge? I mean, because you have all this excitement. Yeah, right. Exodus 1 through 18. <laughs> Things slow down a little bit, 19 Quite a bit. through uh, 24, but now you just get curtain rods and clothing yeah. lines and all these different things. How's that been just to read it? It was it was interesting. You know, you could look at it and say, well, you know, this is like an episode of HGTV. That's right. But um, I think, you know, as we were talking about, actually my wife asked me yesterday, uh, morning uh, about um, why is it you know why is there so much description about the tabernacle mm-hmm. and I just I, I told her that it relates to heaven and of course you and I spoke about this a little earlier but um, I think that in looking at it you know as uh, this is a reflection of what Moses saw in heaven is makes it so much more exciting or yeah. more interesting definitely to read than just looking at it as an episode of yeah. HGTV. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so you can go to your used bookstore, you can probably go to a Christian bookstore as well. And find books like 90 Minutes in Heaven and all these other books about visions of heaven. Right. Why don't you just go back to Exodus 25 through 40 and you will get a vision of heaven. Right, yeah. Right, because Exodus 25 verse 9 uh, says, Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of its furniture, so you shall make it. Right, yeah. So Moses, when he goes up on the mountain, he Mm -hmm. receives not only the law, but he also receives uh, instruction about this dwelling place that God is going to build with his people. Right. right. And he calls it a pattern. And this pattern is based upon uh, heaven itself. Right. right. So Moses gets this vision of this at the end of that same chapter, Exodus 25, uh, 40. It uh, says, And see, see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. And here he's talking about the golden lampstand. He's talking about the table for bread. Uh, he's talking about all this furniture that is going to be in there. But what's this furniture representative of? Right. Heaven. Right? And so it seems as though we go back to the very beginning. We see that God's design for creation was for him to dwell with his people, his people to dwell with him. We see that God placed Adam and Eve on the mountain, right, in a location that seems to be a little bit from the, the top of the mountain. Here you have commission and um, dominion over their garden to spread that out into the world. But immediately they sinned, and therefore they're cast out of the garden. And so the image of God has lost God. Right. right? And the rest of the Bible is a story <clears throat> of how God is going to bring his people back into his place under his rule. Right. And here with the law, we begin to get the rules of God. We get to see God's people and how we see God's place. And <clears throat> God's place is going to be this uh, tent that has two compartments to it, the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, surrounded by a courtyard. So there are really kind of three different phases in this tabernacle structure. The courtyard and then the Holy Place and then the Holy of Holies. Mm-hmm. Each of those, you're going to get closer and closer to God's presence. Therefore, the materials are going to go from bronze to silver to gold. Right. right? You're going to be moving from the earth, kind of uh, figuratively going upwards towards heaven. So many ways, it's remaking Mount Sinai. Mm. Right? Mount Sinai had Moses going up to the very top where God was. If we remember in chapter 24, 
how we saw the 70 elders with Moses and Aaron and the other priestly sons there in the middle. They had a meal together. And then at the bottom, you have where all the people were. They couldn't go any further. Right, yeah. And that tripartite division is exactly what we find in the tabernacle, right? That the high priest is able to go into the presence of God one day a year. The priests are able to come into the holy place where the bread is, where they're able to enjoy the food of God and to be in His presence, serving in His house. And then the people of God bring the sacrifices to the gate so that the priests take that uh, past the, the bronze altar and bring that into the Lord. And so what's happening in Exodus 26 or Exodus 25 through 40 is detailed instructions of this tabernacle that's going to be a pattern or a type of heaven so that the people of God would know more about God and right. would know how they can have a relationship with God, both in His holiness and in His grace, the desire that He has to dwell with them. But if He's going to dwell with them, there have to be certain ways that they approach Him through this mediation of a tabernacle, priestly system with the sacrifices. So what is the tent meeting? Yeah, so we see the tent of meeting mentioned different times uh, here. It seems as though, um, like in Acts, or excuse me, in Exodus 29 and 30, uh, that this tent of meeting uh, is actually the place outside of camp uh, that Moses and then Joshua would go into the presence of God. Um, but it doesn't seem as though uh, that this is yet the tabernacle. The tabernacle is oh, yeah. not constructed until the end of Exodus. And then that tabernacle becomes, at that point, the tent of meeting. Hmm. Before that, there is a provisional tent of meeting that Moses has, which may explain even how, for a season, uh, there are um, Aaron, who's serving God, and the, uh, the older brothers, the firstborn sons, who are to be serving that place as well. They, they're described in Exodus 19, 22, and 26, priests that are working there. Well, where would they work? Well, they would be at the presence of God on his mountain, but then maybe also this tent of meeting. So there's something to that, but the tent of meeting that we find first in places like uh, Exodus 29 when Moses comes and consecrates Aaron and his sons is not the same as the constructed uh, tabernacle, which will be the tent of meeting ongoing after all of it is done at the end of the book. Right. In Exodus 32, the people of Israel sin when Moses does not return immediately from God's presence. What do we discover about God and his people in this passage? Yeah, so this is the center point of Exodus 25 through 40, right? So if we're reading through it, we can get really kind of bogged down with some of the descriptions and the details, chapter 25 through 31. And then we read again in chapter 35 through 40. It's like, man, did I just read this, right? Because I just read about these different parts. Well, the difference there is, one, the instructions are being given uh, for how the furniture and how the tent and how the courtyard are to be constructed. Then in chapters 35 to the font, it's actually the people who are building those things, right? So it just shows how actually they were faithful to God uh, in his word. But in the middle, we see a place where they weren't faithful, mm -hmm. right? Exodus 32 is the part where the people of God, because Moses has not come back down, get impatient. And as they're impatiently waiting for Moses to come down, they pressure Aaron to make for them a golden calf, right? perhaps something like a bowl of fertility that they would find uh, in, in Egypt. Right. And now they're going to treat Yahweh as another idol like they had before. And instead of saying no to them, he agrees. Right. Uh, they collect gold, they uh, throw it into the fire, and out comes this golden calf, right? 
kind of how Aaron describes it. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. had no part to play in it, <laughs> yeah. uh, but of course he did. And uh, it seems as though the firstborn sons, who were to be the priests at that time, failed to protect him, but participated along with him. Right. Uh, so they're going to lose uh, their priestly stature there. But when Moses comes down, he breaks the Ten Commandments, he breaks the tablets, mm -hmm. uh, which seems to indicate that the covenant that was just inaugurated has been broken. Right, yeah. Right? And if this covenant is going to go forward, it's because not of Aaron's faithfulness or the people's faithfulness, but because of a mediator. Mm. Right? And the mediator here is Moses. Right. And if we remember, Moses even says, you know, uh, take my life. Right? God says to Moses, uh, you, you can go ahead, I, I'll build a new people with you. He says, no, take my life. And in taking my life, he offers himself. Of course, God doesn't accept him. Right? But that mediating role is one that God established there right. so that then the covenant would be continued. But the covenant continuing now is going to be with greater mediation. Right? So it's important to see that in Exodus 33 and 34, when the covenant was first made with Israel, now it's going to be with Israel through Moses. Right? And Moses becomes that chief mediator. And so oftentimes we talk about the Mosaic Covenant. In so many ways it is the Mosaic Covenant because he is the one who is inaugurating this covenant as the mediator there. And the law of Moses continues to be taught to the people of Israel thereafter. Um, I'm not sure I quite answered your question. The question you asked had to do with what do we learn about God? What do we learn about man uh, <laughs> yeah. from there? It's helpful just to begin with just kind of the framework of what we see here. What we learn about God is his incredible holiness right. and his incredible grace. Mm -hmm. Right, that with this one infraction of the law, um, he the covenant is broken. Right, it's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just that they ate a fruit; it's that they broke his word. Right, they yeah. broke his covenant. Right, and that same situation is taking place with the people of Israel here. So his holiness is seen, but in the same moment we see the grace of God as Moses intercedes for the people of Israel as God had commanded Moses to do, it's, we can get the idea that Moses is actually more righteous than God here because God wants to strike them down. Right. And Moses like, wait, 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 no, don't, don't do that. right? You who have been faithless people continue to be faithful. And it seems as though Moses has, is more level-headed in this moment than Yahweh is. Of course, that's not true at all. Right. Right? God is the one who appointed Moses and placed Moses to be that mediator because what is all the section just doing? It's a pattern right. right, to show us what is going to come in the future when the Son and the Father work together in perfect harmony to bring salvation to a sinful people. Right? But here's what we find about God in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. After Moses asked for the glory of God to be revealed, God puts him in the cleft of a rock, and these words are passed by and say, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. So when people say, man, God of the Old Testament is full of vengeance and wrath. God of the New Testament is full of love and mercy. Say, look at Exodus 34, mm -hmm. 6 and 7 says. Right? It is the, the foundation of understanding the grace and the patience and the kindness of God in the Old Testament. Now, we need to keep in mind that he also says, he will by no means clear the guilty, right. visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And you put that together, how does that work that he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and bounteous of us love, faithful and forgiving, but he also won't clear the guilty? Like, aren't those at odds with one another? <laughs> I think um, in the book of the Twelve, uh, the, the minor prophets, we see this unpacked because this is going to be a passage that's quoted throughout the Old Testament. And there we see God's mercy and kindness to the people of Nineveh in the book of Jonah. 
But fast forward 100 years later, we see his judgment coming upon them because the people continued in their sin. And what's amazing is that the first part of this verse is quoted in Jonah, God's gracious compassion towards the people of Nineveh. The second part in Nahum is quoted as his vengeance comes upon the people that are there. And so maybe we see how this is true over time. God is merciful toward the people of Israel for hundreds and hundreds of years, but finally their sin is so great that he brings judgment as well. right? And so we see something about God's perfect character, his mercy and his justice perfectly matched there. And about mankind, we learn our ongoing proclivity to worship false gods. Right, yeah. Right? So I thought about that when you said, um, we were talking about how when Moses was still on the mountain, how the people fell into sin yeah. because they got impatient. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking about, you know, how often do we today get impatient with, um, you know, what God has declared us to do? It may seem he's, as he's not moving as quickly as we would like him yep. to. Yep. So we take it upon ourselves to act yeah. um, where we shouldn't. That's right. You know, so we are definitely no different in that aspect. You know, we still need, uh, well, well, we're different in one sense that we do have the Holy Spirit. Yep. That's um, right. But, but no different in, in the sense that we still need grace. Amen. You know, we still Amen. need grace, the same grace that they needed back then we need today. And think about this. I mean, this is where it's so important for our thoughts of God to match who God is. Right, yeah. Right? That he is a father in heaven who loves us and cares for us. Because the greatest way that we grow impatient and justify our sin is by having hard thoughts about God, hmm. right? When we think that God is out to get us, that he doesn't have good for us, right, yeah. it tempts us to look towards other things. When it seems as though that he is slow in bringing us good, right, well, yeah. then I say, well, he's not even caring about me at all, so I'm going to get it for myself, mm-hmm. right? But if we can be taught from scripture, no, he is a good heavenly father. He has good things in store for us. This is proven in the cross. This is proven in the gift of the Spirit. This is proven in the gift of salvation He's given to us. Then it protects us from being impatient and Mm -hmm. it protects us from running and chasing after false gods. Yeah, I think that, you know, that kind of brings back up what we talked about in our last podcast Mm -hmm. about joy and happiness. Mm -hmm. You know, the difference between joy and happiness. If if our goal is happiness, not saying that we can't be happy, but if that is our determining factor Mm -hmm. of God's goodness, then it could lead us to... uh, it could lead us down all kind of wrong roads, right. you know, because hap- like I said, happiness is is so um, dependent on what's going on at the moment right. in the natural versus, yeah. you know, the spiritual. Yeah, I mean, so we can ask it this way. Is, does God care about our happiness? Say, absolutely. Right. He cares about our eternal happiness. That's right. Right. And he is doing, he's stopping at nothing to make sure that our eternal happiness is secured in His holiness, mm. right? And so His holiness is at work in our lives today to purify us and to prepare us for a time of eternal joy with Him in His presence with the people of God forever and ever. Yeah, right? it doesn't feel that way now. Just read Hebrews twelve. Right? Yeah, uh, the children of the fathers never feel like discipline is pleasant in the moment. That's right. But it will produce a harvest of peace and righteousness in the age to come. Yeah, I just had that conversation with my son a couple of days ago <laughs> <laughs> about how you know literally tell him that you know there's some things that he wants to do and I tell him that he can't and I explain why and I said you don't understand. Yeah, I said but one day you're going to thank me. Yeah. You know. And just the same way I feel about my parents now. <laughs> Looking back, say, oh, okay, now I understand. Right. So true, brother. <laughs> so does, does this idea of mediation explain why Moses pleads with God to not destroy Israel? 
Yeah, I think so. Uh, so I mentioned that earlier, but let's unpack this uh, a bit further. So if we read in um, Exodus 32, verse 10, uh, well, here's what we find. It says, Now therefore let me alone that my wrath, this is God speaking, Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Mm. Right, so here's the temptation to Moses. Moses, I'm going to get rid of these wicked people, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Right, yeah. What an incredible temptation. <laughs> yeah, people, right. right. And yet, look what Moses says. Moses says in verse 11, But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Isaac and remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Right. So this is actually the first of four places where Moses intercedes in chapters 32 through 34. And clearly his prayer here is effective. Um, but we shouldn't read, this is Moses, changing God's mind. Right, yeah. As though God was going to do one thing and this human mediator changed God's plans and his purposes there. Rather, Moses is fulfilling the role God called Moses to do. So he's mm -hmm. the leader of God's covenant people. And when their sin stands to destroy them, this godly leader is called on to intercede for them. In some ways, this serves as a type of Christ, the Son of God, who will do the same thing in a greater way later. Right, yeah. For now, this role of covenant meteor explains something important about how Israel will live in the presence of God. In fact, when we read later of Moses uh, wearing a veil, uh, it reminds us that these people did not have immediate access to God. They had mediated access right, to yeah. God. And more compared to the New Covenant, which Paul does in 2 Corinthians 3, the ministry of Moses, which came with a glory of a ministry of condemnation, uh, the, law is, the law could condemn, but it couldn't reconcile or give life. But Christ comes as a greater mediator, um, that he is Emmanuel, he is God with us. So that veil is actually torn in his flesh, and he brings us into the presence of God. He is our mediator, but he's also God. Right. So to come to our mediator is to come to our, uh, our God. Uh, so here we see just the way that the role of mediation is built into the fabric of the story of redemption. It's built into this covenant, so that even this covenant now that will be passed on to Israel is a mediated covenant with Moses. This is why Moses is even greater than Aaron and right. the other priests, because they're going to be teachers of the law and doing what is, the law says, but Moses is the one who is the mediating lawgiver. Mm. And as he is interceding for the people of Israel, it again shows us the way that God relates to a sinful people by raising up a gracious mediator who will be preserving the people of God. And because this was God's idea, this was God's plan and purpose, right. it wasn't as though Moses was changing his mind, yeah. but simply fulfilling what God had already designed. It reminds me of when the king was going to... Um when the two women were fighting over the baby, yeah. um, because and the king said, "Okay, well, I'll just slice the baby in half," and he wasn't really intending to slice the baby right. in half. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, you know, he was using it to make a, he was making a statement to make a point, That's right. to teach a lesson, um, and to get to into into show um, a result. He because he knew that the persons whose 
who who the mother really was would do anything so the baby would be protected and would rather give the baby away. That's right. So I, I do see that. Uh, and there's other places, you know, obviously with um, you know Abraham and his son, mm-hmm. um, the providing providing the lamb um, for the sacrifice. So there's other places in in the Bible and parables and in, in, in stories where a statement will be made to get someone to an understanding of something. That's a great point. Yeah, so. Yeah, I think about the, uh, the Syrophoenician woman. Yeah. Right, when right. she comes to Jesus asking for, you know, healing. Right. And he says, no, I've come for, for the Jews alone. <laughs> yeah. right? And what does she say? She says, yes, Lord, but, you know, even the dogs are allowed to eat the bread crumbs that fall from the table. The yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Like, I mean, so it elicits incredible faith in her by saying no to her. Mm-hmm. And yet his entire design the whole time is to heal her right yeah right but the way that he gets there is opposite what we would think if we just get stuck on that point yeah we'll miss the bigger picture yeah i think that's why it's so important to you know as we've been discussing is that you have to read the bible in its entirety and what i mean by that is is that you can't just you have to read the bible in the context that the whole thing is meant to work together yeah and so it's like we've always talked about so easy just to pull a verse out and do with it what you want I, think about this. I mean, the auto mechanic is not going to take a piece of an engine and say, yeah, I'm going to be... No, like, that piece of the yeah. engine fits into the engine that That's fits right. into the car, right? Whatever vocation, there, if we pull something out of it, it's going to fall apart. Right, yeah. Right? But when we put it in its proper place, then we begin to understand that. Right. The same is true for Scripture. Yeah, makes good sense. Exodus 35, 1-3 is the fourth place we find the Sabbath described in Exodus. How should we understand this repeated emphasis on the Sabbath? So how do we understand then just this pattern of the 6 plus 1? Well, it may be that it's a function of creation, a pattern that was kind of built into um, the world today. It certainly seems to go well for Chick-fil-A uh, <laughs> to, to follow that 6 yeah, plus yeah. 1 pattern. Um, but I'm not convinced that that's entirely what it is. And part of that is because... Uh, Exodus 31's description of the Sabbath is a sign, uh, indicates to me that the stipulations of the Sabbath are associated with the Old Covenant and typological of a greater rest. Right. Right. That today, it's not as though we just find rest one day out of the week. We can have rest every day That's of right. the week found in Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we should just run ourselves ragged and not take a day of rest because we're physical creatures. Right, yeah. Right? And there is wisdom and there is order to be able to say, I need to be able to rest in my life. But theologically, this rest in the Old Testament was dwelling in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. So, again, if we think about Israel coming into the land, they were going to be a people who had to go and worship at a central place. Right, yeah. They had to worship at the tabernacle or at the temple. And because of that, their whole life and their schedule and their calendar had to be ordered in such a way that they could go to that place and to that presence. Right, it's yeah. different for us today, right. right? Where presence with God is mediated by His Word and by His Spirit. That's right. Um, and so, again, we can actually encourage Christians uh, to work on the Sabbath, to work on Sunday as doctors, as EMTs, right, yeah. as police officers. They're doing good works in that way. Now, we would also encourage them to come and to gather with God's people, right. right? because it is right for the people of God to be gathering with one another. But again, there's something fundamentally and covenantally different between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And when we read the book of Hebrews that gives us kind of a, a lens for understanding the Sabbath, ultimately, this people who are dedicated to the Sabbath couldn't keep the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And it's because it was a type that was always pointing forward to Jesus, who is the rest giver, 
And because of his spirit, we live in his presence today so that we can live out of this rest doing good works. And then one of those good works is gathering together with the people of God to remind ourselves of that rest that is found there. Which may even say why that on the day, if you only have one day off a week and it's tiresome to get up first thing in the morning, right? Like, no, actually, you should get up and come and hear the promises of rest right, that yeah. are found in Christ and take a nap in the afternoon. That's right. Right? But I think we can get this all mixed up. Um, and what we need to see in Exodus is how this was a, a sign that was given to the people for their covenant time. And for us today, this rest has been given in a greater measure through Christ, and we are then to gather to be with people who remind ourselves of that rest that are found in them. There's a lot of information about curtains, clothes, and covering in Exodus 25 through 40. What is most helpful for us today in regard to these passages? Yeah, so if you want to be, you know, making some clothes for yourself, <laughs> right. some regal apparel, you know, some great instructions there in Exodus 28, 29. No, I think what we see here again is that this was a, a pattern that was given to the people of Israel for them to understand how to worship God. Mm -hmm. And because that pattern was given and then fulfilled in the New Testament, it serves as the background for us to understand how we are to worship God in the true tabernacle through Jesus Christ. Right. Right. So Exodus 35, though, just to kind of unpack some of this, um, gives many patterns for how we are to give uh, worship to God and even to be the church. Right. So, for instance, um, in the building of the tabernacle, the spirit was needed uh, mm -hmm. to build the tabernacle. Right. So Bezalel and Oholiab are endowed with the spirit of wisdom and skill. Right. And what's fascinating is that you see that Bezalel is the one who made all of these things, but he's then making them through the means of the other people that he's trained and who are filled with uh, the gifts of, of wisdom and skill to, to build what is there. So first thing to see is just how the spirit is at work, not only to dwell in the tabernacle, but to construct the tabernacle. Right. Uh, the spirit is giving abilities to the people to do that. Then secondly, the construction tabernacle requires generous hearts. Right. One of the things that's repeated throughout chapter 35 is that in verse 5, they had a generous heart that was leading them to give gifts to the tabernacle. Then verse 21, everyone whose heart stirred him, everyone whose spirit moved him, all who had a willing heart. Right. So again, the spirit is doing something in the hearts of the people to contribute to this temple that was being built, this tabernacle being built. Um, we also see men and women, right? In verse 26, it says, all the women whose hearts stirred them. And then in verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to offer a free will offering. So not only is the Spirit equipping men and women to be able to build the pieces of the tabernacle, He's also moving others to give contributions to the mm -hmm. tabernacle. And third, uh, everyone's involved, right? Chapter 35, verse 10, all who had skill. 35, verse 23, everyone who possessed blue and all these other different fabrics were to give them. And then men and women are described in verse 22 again. Right. right? So for the tabernacle to be built up at this time, it was an entire community effort. Right. right? I think it applies incredibly to the church today. I would agree. Right? I mean, if Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, he has founded the church, now he's giving his word and his spirit so that every person would make their contribution. Right. Right. Certainly there's gifts and their skills that God has given to them to, to build the church uh, and also the monetary contributions. Right. So that the gospel continue to, to go forward. Um, so I think it's important to be able to see just this pattern of taking place here does have application to us today. Right. Um, mediated through Jesus Christ and the church that is, he has founded. 
So this concludes our discussion of the Old Testament portion of our reading plan. As you follow along with your reading plan, if you have any questions or comments that you would like us to discuss, please send them to via Emmaus at obc.org. You may hear a response on an upcoming episode. Via Emmaus is a podcast of Occoquan Bible Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Our prayer is that you would read the Bible and read the Bible better. For more resources related to this episode and the gospel-centered ministry of God's Word, visit obc.org.